Well, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Janice M. from Massachusetts, and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, November 6th, 2015. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 4, paragraph, uh, page 4, Bill's story, paragraph 1. Today's readers are Jane B. for the 12 Steps, Anita L. for the 12 Traditions, and our readers for the text will be Kathleen W., Charles H., and Iris G. The share code for yesterday, which is a four-digit number, for Thursday, November 5th, 2015 is 8175. That's 8175. Our OA preamble, Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Jane B. to please read the 12 steps. Thank you, Janice, for your service. This is Jane B., a recovered compulsive overeater from Minnesota. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 
11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Well, thank you, Jane B. I will now ask Anita L. to please read the 12 traditions. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group shall be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, An OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. And with that, I pass. And thank you, Anita L., how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share, please, to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topics. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. 
in order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should Wait. be muted. Today we resume our study in the big book on page 4, the very first paragraph, abruptly in October 1929. I will now ask Kathleen W. to please begin reading. Hi, this is Kathleen W. from Phoenix, Arizona. Can you hear me okay, Janice? Yes, yes I can. Great, okay. Abruptly in October 1929, hell broke loose on the New York Stock Exchange. After one of those days of inferno, I wobbled from a hotel bar to a brokerage office. It was 8 o'clock, five hours after the market closed. The ticket was still clattered. The ticker was still clattered. I was staring at an inch of the tape which bore the, the inscription XYZ32. It had been 52 that morning. I was finished and so were many friends. The papers reported men jumping to death from the towers of high finance. That disgusted me. I would not jump. I went back to the bar. My friends had jumped, or I'm sorry, my friends had dropped several millions since 10 o'clock. So what? Tomorrow was another day. As I drank, the old fierce determination to win came back. So let me set my timer here. So I wanted to focus on the paper reported men jumping to death from the towers of high finance. That disgusted me. I would not jump. I went back to the bar. My friends had, had dropped several million since 10. So what? Tomorrow was another day. So these men were losing thousands of dollars and must have been in severe emotional pain, and they could not handle it. So some of them jumped off the building to their death. We can assume they didn't have a 12-step program, I would imagine. And then it says he did not jump, but he went back to the bar. His way of dealing with it was to drink again. Tomorrow is another day. He could get drunk today and then start, start over tomorrow. I did that with the food thousands of times. And my real bottom was when I was in my late teens and 20s. And I remember when I was around 19 or so, I had a lot of emotional pain and I used to go to the bars and drink and then I would binge in my car on food on my way home. And one time I accidentally drove into a ditch because I was binging my brains out in my car and I wasn't paying attention and I had to call my dad to get me out. And I even remember what I was binging on. And another time, the thought occurred to me that it would be a lot easier to just drive off the road and end it all so I wouldn't have to deal with this anymore. I was so disgusted with how I kept going through this cycle of binging and I could not get out of it or make it stop. I didn't have this program back then and I didn't, and I didn't end up driving off the road and I just went back to binging to deal with my emotional pain and loneliness. Tomorrow was another day. I could start over then. But then the cycle would keep happening, and I was disgusted with myself. I would also binge my brains out knowing that I could just sleep all day long so I could, I could just be numb and not have to feel anything. And I isolated, and I didn't open the blinds, and my only outside contact was to go to the grocery store and get tons of binge, binge food, I was disgusted with myself, but I could not stop. I don't regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it, but I certainly would never want to go back to where I came from. 
but I that my unhealthy experience with food got me to where I am today. By the grace of God, I have a beautiful life today, and I have so many things to be grateful for. I am so grateful for this beautiful program and the privilege to have gone to the conference last weekend and to meet so many of you. And with that, I'll pass. And thank you, Kathleen W. Okay, who would like to comment on what was read this morning for three minutes? This is Bella. Can I hear? Kathleen O. Kathleen O. Melissa K. Oh, I didn't. I didn't hear anybody except Bella. So we're going to start from Bella G. And then Sally. Kathleen O. Lynn S. Melissa C. Reva P. My goodness, Paula D. (laughs) (laughs) All right, hold on. That's okay. Here we go. Here we go. I'm gonna. We're gonna get this group going first. We have Bella G. We have Sally A. We have Kathleen O. I heard Larry K. I heard Reva P. And let's stop there, and then we'll continue. Okay, Bella G. It's your turn. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella G, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Janice, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. I would not jump. I went back to the bar. Wow, I understand it because I was there. I wouldn't go to the, to the bar, but I would go straight to the food. And it's the same way. To go back to the food, it's to die. It's to die, to die physically and emotionally. Before the program, I didn't know how to deal with any feelings, especially not with pain, aggravation, uh, disappointed. So I just went back to the food. But I wasn't happy there. I just was even more, sorry, I was just even more unhappy and excited. I was jealous. I was sad. I was miserable. I just didn't know how to deal with all those pain, with all this pain, with all those feelings. I was like a balloon that in any second I will just popped out with, with so much that I didn't know what to do with this. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Now that I am in the program and I am connected to God, to a higher power, I am so thankful for all those feelings, sometimes not comfortable feelings. Thank you, God. I know now I have the tools and I know what to do with those feelings. I am not staying there and say, well, what to do? I have the tools. I learned to pause and just to live, to live in freedom, to live in peaceful with all the feelings around. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. And thank you, Bella G. Okay, Sally A., it's your turn. Sally A., just press star one, dear. I was just talking away. Thank you, Janice. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, thank you for letting me share this morning. Good morning, vision for you at Sally A. in South Jersey. Um, let me just turn on my timer. I want to speak on this same subject here. The papers reported men jumping to death from the towers of high finance. That disgusted me. 
how interesting that he judges them for their way of of ending their lives. I would not jump. I went back to the bar. And, and the interesting thing about this is I was thinking about this a lot yesterday that, um, you know, for me, I think of this as me in a frying pan, like a frog in a frying pan. And the flame is very, very slow. And I'm I'm just going to die in the frying pan with the flame really low. But do I know that I was going to die? I mean, for years I was in this food. And, you know, yesterday I had a really rough day because I have this patient who is 27 years old and 617 pounds that I've been working with for about a month. And yesterday was the end for her. She was rushed to the hospital in the ambulance. She was put on life support. Her uh, vital organs were shutting down. And when I called yesterday morning to book my the time that I was going to come and meet with her, her mother told me that she was taken to the hospital and that she was on life support. I knew this was coming. I had worked very, very hard for the last month with her to keep this from happening, as if I could keep this from happening. I um, talked with her about a vision. She was listening to vision. I helped her to get a nutritionist who was giving her pro bono, was, was talking with her daily to get her going, to get her quickly started. Um, she got a sponsor. Her family bought her a big book. She was studying it. And yesterday when I heard that she was taken to the hospital, I was devastated. I was, it just was, I was wrecked, and I didn't have time to stop and cry or do a 10-step because my day was so busy. But all day I was thinking about this line. I would not jump. I, would, I went back to the bar and how, how it's a slow burner, like the frog in the frying pan. It's a slow death as if we are actually uh, getting away with something because it's a slow death instead of just jumping from the towers of high finance. And we're so blessed that, that he, that Bill is such a fabulous writer that he brings to our attention, to all of us, that all of us are just like this. We have this choice. We have the choice of a slow death, the frog in the frying pan, or we can, door number two, we can turn to a spiritual solution. Thanks for letting me share with this morning. And thank you, Sally A., for your share. Kathleen O., you're next. Good morning. Thank you. This is Kathleen O. from California, currently in South Carolina. And, oh, boy, can I relate to who cares? Tomorrow's another day. Oh, my goodness. How many days did I say that and talk about denial, delusion, dishonesty. Oh, I would, I cannot count the days that I said, oh, who cares? Tomorrow's another day. I'll start tomorrow. I'll start tomorrow. And I would, when I would say that, it almost made it worse because when I would have to go gather all my favorite binge foods and, and I would sit in parking lots and eat them. Um, I would hide. I would find places to go where I could eat. I would, I would go to a bagel place, order the baker's dozen, eat half of them in the parking lot, and the other half as I was driving home, and I only lived about 10 minutes from there. Um, just this crazy not being able to stop. I just could not stop. And every now and then I would muster up some willpower and I'd stop, and I'd go on a diet. I did Weight Watchers. I did all the stuff that everybody else has probably tried. And sometimes it would work, and I would lose weight, and it would stay off 
for about 15 minutes. And as soon as I picked up the, the food, I would be off and running again, and my weight would skyrocket up. And, you know, in those days, and I would always say, oh, I'll start tomorrow. Who cares? Tomorrow's another day. Kind of like Scarlett O'Hara, right? Um, the day just never came. And, and then I would start wishing, you know what? I'd give anything. I'd give an arm. I'd give a leg. I'd pay a million dollars if I could just figure out how to stop this. And that is the gift of this program. Today, I get to live in the 12 steps. And if I have a fear or resentment, I immediately write about it, I share it, the fear, I ask God to remove it. If it's a resentment where I've harmed someone, I make amends. If I've been harmed, I pray for that person. I know they're spiritually sick, and my goal is to trust and rely on God, and everything's going to be okay. If I can put my faith in my higher power, everything will be okay. I get the promises of no longer fighting anyone or anything including food, which is a miracle. I just don't want it anymore. I weigh and measure my food. I know exactly what I'm eating every day. It's enough. I can look at stuff that I normally would have binged on and made me crazy. I don't have to do that anymore. I can be present, focus on people, and have a life and live a life. It took me a long time to get here. I'm so glad I arrived, and I have to say that vision is really what kick-started me into this. So thank you. This is Kathleen in California. And thank you, Kathleen O. Okay, Larry Kay, it's your turn. Hey, Janice. Um, thanks so much for your service. Larry Kay, uh, Recovered Compulsible Reader. So, you know, through Bill's experience, we learned just how painful this disease is. I mean, you know, some 85 years ago, the, the New York Stock Exchange experienced, you know, a, a horrible financial panic. You know, the worst the country had ever seen. And, and there's been more crashes since, you know, since that time with bigger numbers, but nothing quite rivals the terror and devastation of that Black Tuesday. You know, big companies like U.S. Steel and General Electric, these, they were all tumbling, became worthless overnight. You know, it, but just prior to that, Americans could, you know, buy goods on installment plans, which was a relatively new thing, and they could afford more, you know, afford more things than ever before. And, you know... And Bill, he continued to invest um, on margin like so many other people. In fact, um, I was looking by 1929, two out of every $5 a bank loaned were used to purchase stocks. And in one day, poof, it was all gone. You know, picture us transported, you know, magically back to 1929. And, you know, um, as others were jumping off skyscrapers, you know, we numbed our pain like Bill with our fist in a bakery box or a cellophane bag. And even in the, in the face of, of, of the devastation of, of this kind of financial ruin, our disease would convince us that, you know, Sara Lee or Ben and Jerry would be our savior. You know, just a few minutes of false comfort in the midst of the tragedy. And, and you know, and it says, and the old fierce determination to win would come back. And you see, my, my need for self-delusion ran deep. And, and donuts would always keep me from seeing the stark reality of my self-destructive nature. And, you know, there, there's two ways, you know, to be fooled. One is to believe what isn't true, but the other is to refuse to believe what is true. 
And what happens is, is this program of recovery through these actions, these, these steps, these actions that we take restores us to sanity. So I no longer want or need donuts and I'm happy about it. Um, and that's what this, that's the gift of this program. But we see the progressive nature of the disease where Bill was just, uh, he was numbing out just like we did. You know, if, if all we ever do is come on this line or get ourselves out to Virginia beach and we just kind of soak in, you know, the recovery of others thinking that we're going to be sprinkled with pixie dust. I got news for you. It just, it'll never happen. There's people on this line that'll tell you years they spent in program watching the disease progress, just numbing out. We don't have to live like that anymore. With that, I'll pass. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. And thank you, Larry Kay. Okay, Reva P., it's your turn. Good morning. This is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. Several things jumped out at me. Um, Being disgusted with people who were overweight, compulsively overeating, like I was doing, uh, like I was such a high and mighty person. Um, But yeah, people disgusted me, and I wouldn't do that. So I became anorexic and bulimic, um, because I was better then, don't you know? And I love the sarcasm he uses, because that's exactly where my mind was at that time. Um, The other thing that jumped out at me was tomorrow was another day, I started every morning, this day was going to be different, and I dieted and counted calories and um, was consumed with mathematics of calories. And you know what? By the end of every single day, I had closed the door to my apartment, got downstairs to the grocery store that just happened to be right down my apartment, which was very convenient for a compulsive overeater, and binged my brains out um, with thousands and thousands of calories that I couldn't even count. And then every morning, today was going to be different. Um, So it was always like, you know, the night of tomorrow was going to be another day. And what this program has taught me is I need to do everything that I can do working this program and all my affairs just for today. And it was such a paradox that, you know, my whole mindset was let's postpone everything till tomorrow. It's too scary. It's too much. It's too this. And I was reading something this morning that said now is the time to begin because tomorrow's too late because my whole life was being postponed. I, I just postponed my whole life. It was all tomorrow, tomorrow. The last thing that jumped out at me is that old fierce determination to win Despite everything, despite all this that's happened in this paragraph, he's, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll make this work. You know, I'm going to come back. And when I have that feeling where I'm rolling up my sleeves and I'm going to fix this and, you know, I just tr- try harder. That's what I thought the solution was. Just try harder and exert yourself harder and be more willful and more controlling. Um, and even for today, whenever I get that feeling like I'm rolling up the sleeves and we got to take this, you know, bull by the horns, I know I'm in big, big trouble because the solution for me is to surrender, to know I am licked. I have no clue how to do things. I don't know how things are going to work out. It's all too overwhelming. I don't really naturally live life on life's terms with ease, and I need a power greater than myself to show me how to do that. Um, 
So I'm so grateful. I didn't know there was another way. I didn't know how to cope with life on life's terms, especially something as serious as the stock market crash. Um, so I'm grateful now. When the car breaks down, I call, you know, CAA versus um, binging my brains out. With that, I pass. Yes, and thank you, Reva P. Okay, anyone else who would like to comment on what was read? Melissa C. I have Melissa C. Melissa R. Melissa R. Lynn S. Lynn S. Paula D. Paula D. I missed you before. Go ahead. Let's go with those five, and we'll start with Melissa C. Thank you. Go ahead, Melissa. Melissa C. Star one to unmute. Can I get the right name? Hi, can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Okay, I was talking away. Uh, it's Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. Um, thank you so much. Um, you know, I think about fierce determination um, and what that means in, like, in the face of a great devastation, a great tragedy. You know, for him it was the stock market crashing. Um, And myself, you know, I I suffered a tremendous loss. Um, We lost, you know, a a baby, a newborn baby. And, um, you know, I wanted, on one hand, I wanted to die, you know. And on the other hand, I was fiercely determined. And, um, you know, I think, like, my character defects are, are, on the other hand, sometimes my greatest asset. And although I didn't have anything else to do with my fierce determination but turn to the food, um, you know, now, because I don't regret the past or wish to shut the door on it, I'm so grateful that I was a compulsive overeater, that I had, even though it was an ineffective strategy to survive, I survived. And um, and so I'm here today, you know, just like Bill was able to survive. He didn't jump off the building. Thank God, you know. Um, and so, yeah, the food was what I turned to because uh, I didn't know what else to do. And I couldn't function with that pain, um, you know. And, and, no, it was ineffective. It only created many, many more problems for me. And it only isolated me more and kept me stuck in my problem more. But, um, you know, somewhere my self-determination, my epiphany was that that was my higher power, even now. Like, the fact that I continue to breathe, I continue to move one step in front of the other, um, that was God, you know, the little flicker, the little flame within me. And when I was ready um, to transform, to allow myself to be transformed, my self-determination got me... um, to pick up the phone and call in on this meeting when I was suffering. So, you know, I, I, I just, I love when I can accept uh, humbly my defects because um, they're, they're also sometimes my assets. And, uh, you know, so grateful to know that I'm there. And thank you, Melissa C. Okay, Nessa R. Good morning. This is Nessa R. Recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. This is my third day in a row to be able to be live on the line. I'm so grateful. Um, And I'm so grateful to um, be reading this paragraph today because I relate to Bill so much uh, in so many levels because in 1987, 
probably at the height of my disease um, in a normal body, um, but through restricting and purging and binging and purging. Um, you know, I was in New York working in the high finance um, industry and exhilarating times of, of leverage buyouts, just fresh out of um, uh, business school, getting my MBA. And there was a um, stock market crash in October. And the blow to my self-esteem, the fear of financial insecurity because, you know, I, I was cognizant of the fact that I was just moving hired and, you know, last in, first out. Um, if that wasn't a reason to binge, I don't know what was. I don't know what was. Not that I really needed a reason, um, to binge, um, you know, even just being happy, the exhilarating um, work that I was doing, the long hours that I was keeping, anything was a good reason to binge. But this, this was truly, truly a justification. And you know what? Thank God I don't have to live like that anymore. Thanks to Bill Wilson, thanks to these 12 steps, I don't have to live like that anymore. Uh, I can cope with uh, crises. I can cope with challenges. You know, I have coped with, you know, the illness and death of loved ones, parenting challenges, financial challenges, all in an abstinent recovered state. And, you know, looking back at those uh, years in 1987, oh, my gosh, what a change. And it wouldn't have been possible if I hadn't come across you know, my sponsor who brought me through the big book, who brought me through the 12 steps into recovery. Thank God I don't have to live like that anymore, and I pass. Have a good weekend. And thank you, Nessa. Uh, Lynn S., it's your turn. Good morning. This is Lynn S. from Toronto, Canada. This paragraph really speaks to me and gives me so many remember whens. When he says, that disgusted me, I would not jump, I went back to the bar. It just strikes me, you know, and somebody mentioned this yesterday, how much the sharing is, how much depth and weight it has when you're in recovery. And how many times, you know, he's not disgusted that he's a drunk. He's not disgusted that he goes to the bar and drinks his face off. The people who have lost their whole lives are jumping out of buildings and that disgusts him. And it just reminds me of my, my whole life. And yet it was such a front because deep down inside I was disgusted with myself. But how many times did something happen? And I took myself back to the fast food place or the buffet lines. Oh, my God, seeing somebody like me, 140 pounds overweight in a buffet line and, and just piling up my place, plate because I couldn't stand it. Whatever it was, I, I just couldn't stand it. So the solution was to eat. And it, it just strikes me how much as, as we think, you know, our alcoholic life is the only one. For him, going back to the bar, being drunk is not disgusting. And that line, so what? The first 35 years of my life before I came into program were, so what? Because I couldn't deal with anything, so what? As long as I had the bagels, as long as I had the donuts, as long as I was lying in bed with the passenger side filled with my binge foods, I could make it through another white night, and so what? Because tomorrow was another day. I could not face any reality. I couldn't face life. 
but the you know but I could face lying in bed binging my brains out and being disgusted with myself and my behavior but so what tomorrow was another day and with that I'll pass <clears throat> pardon me and thank you Lynn S Paula D it is your turn good morning Janice uh, am I being heard Oh, yes, I can hear you. <laughs> Thank you. I like that confirmation. Uh, this would be Paula D. Uh, currently in uh, New Hampshire and uh, recovered by and with the grace of God. You know, as I read this, I fast forward and yet I go back, and that's on page 30. What comes together here? Obsession, illusion, and delusion. There we see it all. And it says abruptly in October 1929, I don't know what your date is, that hell broke loose. I don't know what your date is. Here we're with Bill on the New York Stock Exchange, and I love this part. After one of those days of inferno, I wobbled, and there it is. I wobbled. I don't walk anymore. I wobbled from a hotel bar. But, you know, as we read here, and this is it, there is same, so many losses. There's no compassion here. I was finished, and so were many of my friends. Oh, men jumping from their ta- de- death, you would think sympathy, compassion, something, human? No, it disgusted me. I would not jump. You see, even here, his ego, I wasn't like them. I was different. And he comes to this place, and we scoot on down, and we sit there, and you camp out here. Tomorrow was another day. Tomorrow was another day, and there it continues. As I drink, as I drink, now he cannot put the drink down. The old fierce determination to win came back. Remember what we said about ego? There was no surrender here. In all he saw around him, the delusion, the illusion, I'm different. I'm different. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. And thank you, Paula D. Okay, AJM, it is your turn. Uh, I'm AJM. I'm from North Carolina. And as I read this, um, I like a, like the speaker who just spoke, I saw the wobbles from a hotel bar. Bill was already under the influence when he made these observations about the stock market crash when he observed, I was finished. So what he did, instead of jumping from a building was go back to the bar. While the instant suicide of other men disgusted him, he chose a slower form of suicide. This paragraph and the ones we've read this week have made me think a lot about where I was spiritually before I got to Virginia Beach last Friday. I was abstinent when I got there, had been for quite some time with some gratifying physical recovery, but it was mostly the white-knuckle sort of abstinence that had me constantly preoccupied with food, with what I'd just eaten, with what I was going to eat next. Since I got home and have been listening to Vision, 
I've got the sort of abstinence that doesn't distract me but just is. I'm not thinking about food constantly. I'm not preoccupied with what my next meal will be. Bill's mind was so distorted by drink as mine has been by food, even when I was abstinent by force of will, that he had no choice but to look down on others, to be disgusted by the pain of his fellows, and go back to the bar. I'm just so grateful that uh, at least for the five last five days, um, the kind of abstinence, the freedom from the obsession of the mind, and this is after years and years in this program, I've never experienced this before. So I really thank all of you who are at Virginia Beach, and I thank all of you who show up every morning on this phone line. You're such a gift to me. And I'm so grateful that I don't have to be disgusted by the pain of others anymore. Thank you for your service, and um, with that, I pass. And thank you, AJM. Okay, would anyone else like to comment on what was read on this paragraph? Rochelle, Naomi B., could I share? Leanne. We have Rochelle, we have Naomi B., we have Leah M., and who else? Lauren S. Lauren, is it Lauren S.? Yes. Okay. Lauren S., and anyone else? Sue G. Sue G. Okay, let's go. And then Chris, Chrissy? Yes, please. Chrissy what? What was it? Chrissy? Um, Please. Okay, I'll just say Chrissy. I didn't get that last. Okay, Rochelle, please go ahead, because this is a good paragraph. Go ahead, Rochelle. Is it Rochelle or Raquel? Um, Star one to unmute. Did I say the wrong name? Is it Raquel? This This is Rochelle W. from Virginia. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead, dear. Rochelle. Okay, hi, my name's Rochelle W. from Virginia. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and sugar addict. And this is my first time sharing on the line. I've been trying for months, so I'm so honored, and it was a pleasure to meet all of y'all in Virginia Beach this past weekend. Um, With this paragraph, what stood out to me, um, the very beginning, in October 1929, when hell broke loose, and, you know, I'm young, I'm 34, but I'm a student of history. I understand that this day was... For the people that lived through it, there was life before and there was life after. And it was something completely out of their control, um, and it it, it affected their life forever. And I was reflecting on that for me. Um, I was in college during September 11th, and I went to school in Boston, and I had a number of friends who lost parents, unfortunately, on September 11th. And for those of us in my class, there was life before and there was life after. And life after will never be the same. It, it, it profoundly changed the course of our lives. And however, I'm an addict and I was in the food. And on September 11th, after that happened, I was binging my brains out. And it was miserable and it was depressing. And uh, I was trying to be there for my friends, but I couldn't really be there because I was in the food. And, you know, thank God I got into OA and came into program at age 28, young enough when I did. 
um, and thank God that God stepped in when he did. Um, but I have no doubt in my mind that had I not, I would have kept going. I would have reached the levels of obesity that I have heard about in this program, um, and I have no doubt that that could have been me. So um, it always this paragraph just brings me back to all of us have our own hells that happened during our lives that weren't out of our control, and we also have the hells that happened that we made ourselves because we were in this disease. And now by the grace of God, we have a program, we have tools, we have a solution that doesn't have to be the food anymore. And thank God now I have a life that I'm living and I'm enjoying and the food is not an obsession. And I'm, I'm able to, to do service to other compulsive overeaters and it's just such a gift. So thank you so much for letting me share and with that I'll pass. And thank you, Rochelle. Okay, Naomi B., please, it's your turn. Hi, Janice. Thank you for your service. Good morning. My name is Naomi B., a grateful, grateful recovered compulsive overeater outside Philadelphia. Well, of course, the one line that jumps out at me, and this is what was so eloquently said earlier about that disgusted me about the men, I would not jump. I went back to the bar. Well, that's what I did. Not a bar, but, you know, like they say, a bag or box, or with me, it was hoagies. And... The other thing I had to do was, this was something I lived by. Tomorrow is another day. As I drank, the old fierce determination to win came back. And that's what it was. I'm going to do this tomorrow. I'm going to, God will understand. God will understand. I'm going to do this tomorrow. I mean, that was so my ego. Because we're never promised our tomorrows. My husband almost dropped dead. A year ago, I mean, he went off to work healthy, and the next thing I know, I'm getting a call from his office that he collapsed at work. This is a man that didn't even have colds, and he had an aneurysm in the aorta, in the abdomen that burst. Thank you, God, you put your finger on the blood so it stopped. We're not promised our tomorrows, and the first amends I made was to God because I took him for granted. Oh, you'll get me tomorrow. You know, I'll start out today. I'm going to be on a diet. I'm wrong. My life is so transformed. I start my day this morning thanking him every single morning in a devotional. Every morning I thank him, good or bad or indifferent, whatever the day is going to bring, I thank him. And then I get on the phone line, and that reinforces what I had just previously done. And it just, it's such a humble experience being in this program and living, 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 tending, living, cement, in steps 10, 11, and 12 every day. Thank you so much for allowing me to share. I have a great weekend, and there's no baby yet, but thank you very much for allowing me to share. We're still waiting. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Naomi, Naomi B. Leah M., it is your turn. Thanks so much, Janice. Uh, I went back to the bar. <laughs> um, you know, that just reminds me of that whole concept that, uh, you know, drinking alcoholism is not Bill's problem. You know, it is his solution. Drinking is not his problem. It is his solution. How he's feeling when he's sober is his problem. He's restless, irritable, and discontent. Uh, and, of course, of course, he has to go uh, seek the ease and comfort, the effect uh, that's produced by taking that drink. And I relate to that. 
I relate to that. You know, despite the consequences that were occurring in my life due to my compulsive overeating, despite the pleas from my parents and from physicians regarding uh, the deterioration of my health, despite, you know, the excruciating detail that my therapist, you know, went into uh, regarding the uh, negative you know, effects of my binging, my uh, starvation, you know, my bulimia, et cetera. Um, despite all that, binging, seeking ease and comfort in bags and boxes and in the substance, that was my solution. That was my solution because in my small world it was, you know, well, when the planets are aligned just so, then I won't have a need to seek ease and comfort in, that sub, in these substances. And, you know, that day never came because the reality for someone like me is compulsive overeating was the glue that held me together. Because someone like me, I had a rough time living. I didn't have a rough time compulsively overeating. I knew how to compulsively overeat very, very well. What I had a rough time doing was living. And external conditions never were the remedy for an internal condition called compulsive overeating. I kept thinking when different things would occur, then finally I would be at ease and comfort within myself and I wouldn't need to dig my fists into bags and boxes. But that day never came because the reality is I felt unmanageability long before those binges lasted all day and all night. And I felt the same degree of unmanageability long after I thought I had my last binge. Because the thing about compulsive overeating like for someone like me is that it works. It works for someone like me, and then eventually it stops working. And you know what someone like me does after it stops working? I just add more food. I add more volume, thinking that I can binge to change the way I feel and to make the world less threatening. And that's where the 12 steps came in, because I no longer have the need to seek ease and comfort in some substance outside of myself. I have one solution today, and that's a relationship with a power greater than myself that brings me that stability and security. And with that, I pass. Thanks. And thank you so much, uh, Leah M. Lauren S., it's your turn. Okay. (laughs) Hi, I'm Lauren S as in Sam from Pittsburgh, PA, and um, if you guys ever get nervous sharing on this line, you're like me, and God is rooting me on right now like I'm at a baseball game. Um, Oh, God just told me that this paragraph reminded me of experiences I had before my eating reached devious heights. One was a year before my addiction cracked open and burst into my living room with my sister, who was bulimic, but I wouldn't call her an addict. And I remember talking to her, thinking she was crazy. How can you throw up in buckets and put them 
against the side of the house, and that's just why would you do that, Suzanne? And I remember talking to her about the steps. Stop throwing up. You're beautiful. Uh, I remember watching documentaries before my addiction seeped into the air about morbid obese victims who needed special coffins and to be airlifted to the hospital and and walking home from a baseball game and seeing people on the street playing their saxophone not able to buy money for food and being so disconnected from these people so disconnected thinking that I was unique um that's what my human disturbing condition does I separate myself from other people and here Bill sees these people as himself you know I really believe I am seeing myself in other people he is seeing a projector screen a funhouse mirror as my soul sister Katie S says I think she might be listening so hi Katie um and he doesn't identify. He sees them as unique cases. They're crazy. But as we have been reading, using the substance is bringing pleasure, is bringing a kind of spiritual experience for him. You know, if you're a true addict like me, these substances bring comfort until they start to cross an invisible barrier. And um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Yes, and thank you, Lauren S. Okay, Sue G., you'll probably be our last one. Go ahead, Deb. Hi, this is Sue G. from Michigan. Um, I'm nervous, too. Usually I'm not this nervous, but there's so much going on in my head right now from what I've read. Um, I always thought I can start Monday I was in program since 1991 and never heard of the solution, never heard of, uh, never got into the big book at all until into the 2000s. Um, but I always thought, I did it once back in 91. I lost all my weight in two years and I thought I can do it again. I did do it again. And so I always had this thought in my mind that I've got another recovery in me, and so it's okay if I maybe gain 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 because I can always turn around and and and, uh, and take it back off, and it was being treated like a diet, and I didn't know that. I was really in denial about that. Um, but the point came where I started wondering if I had another recovery in me, you know, whether I would be able to um, to turn it around and um, and got a spiritual sponsor and um, and started you know really having that fear of of maybe I don't have another one in me because I, my relapses were coming closer and closer together and um, and I think for me, I don't, I don't think I ever, I, I don't know, I mean, I could be wrong, but I, I don't think I ever hit 
bottom in the sense of um, anything scaring me that I, you know, I would I could see death coming that um, that if I didn't stop I I I would die or I never never had that happen to me, but I did have this fear of not having another recovery in me, and my health was bad, and it kind of gave me an excuse to comfort myself. And uh, about a month, month and a half ago, I guess it was, that I came to Vision for You, which was recommended, gosh, over over a year and a half ago. And and, um, and now the person who recommended it to me, I heard, is a newcomer, which really blessed me. And, um, and I think between the OA retreat I went to with Lori coming and speaking and sitting down and talking to me about my food plan, and I listened to him and about his, and I and think I just, it's time. I'm sorry. Time. I'm sorry. I just realized yes. I had enough. Thanks for mm-hmm. listening. Yeah, and thank you. Thank you so much. It is that time to close. So I'd like to uh, thank you to everyone who has shared. So please join us for the second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. Uh, we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. I'm going to ask Charles H., are you available to read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yeah, yes, I am, Lois. Charles H., a recovered visionary, um, just for today. Our, can you hear me? I can. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.